0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. I was reminded of about 10 years ago, it's about a decade ago now, that there were some Guys who came from Michigan down to Oklahoma, they were interviewing me for a pastoring job over on the west side. And as we were interviewing and they were talking to me, I asked the question. I said, so I'm I'm wondering, you know, the important things when you're becoming a pastor at a church, what's the food like? And i would never been to Michigan. So I'm like, what is Michigan food? Because I've lived a lot of places. I've been to a lot of places. And so I, I know what, I don't know what Michigan food is. And they looked at each other like, I don't think there is a Michigan food. I don't think that's a thing. And I'm like, mm, there's a thing everywhere. Like, what's your thing? And they could have said conies, and they could have said sandwiches. They didn't say any of that. They're like, meat and potatoes, I guess. I don't know what Michigan food. It. Here's your answer. If anyone ever asks you, cider and donuts. That is Michigan. They don't do cider and donuts everywhere. Just so y'all know, like, if you go to Texas right now, even though it's fall, I know it's fall, and it feels beautiful, you go to Texas And you ask, like, where's the cider mill? They're going to look at you like, what did you just say to me? Like, they're not going to understand. Now, if you say, where's the barbecue? They speak barbecue. They do speak barbecue. Barbecue does not mean cooking a hamburger on the grill. That's cooking a hamburger on the grill. (laughs) Barbecue is you need meat and you need some rub. If you don't have rub, it ain't barbecue. You got to rub the rub onto your meat and you need some mesquite. You need some... It's a, it's a kind of wood, right? You need some mesquite to smoke your meat, and that's barbecue. Don't slather sauce all over it. Don't do that. So, like, barbecue is a Texas thing. In Portugal, Portugal had a taste. And so, once a week, we go to the Churrascaria. Yeah, that's where we went. The Churrascaria. Once a week, we go there to get our frango con piti which translates meat with hot-hot. It's chicken with hot-hot. That's the literal translation chicken with hot, what they would do is they'd take a chicken and they would do that little cut where you like do that to it. You know, you, you open it up. Shake your head so you're with me. Yeah, okay. You got you cut it however you cut it. I don't even know what you do, but you, you open it up so your chicken looks like that now. You know, so you get a little thing and you get a little over here and then they would spin it around in the fire and then they put olive, because Portugal, olive oil. So they dump some olive oil on it and some garlic and a little bit of salt and then they would take this little chili pepper from Africa called... Pity pity called hot, hot pepper. And then they would, they would put that juice on there. And it's delicious. So like once a week, we'd do that. So good. If you ever go to Portugal, frango com piti-piti. Don't forget that. That's what you got to order. You're going to love it. You're going to like, it. it's cheap and it's yummy. And it's delicious. If you go to Arizona, if you go to Arizona and you ask for the cider mill, they're going to go, what? Cider and donuts. They're going to go, I don't go to Kroger. I don't know where you get cider and donuts. It's not a thing there. But if you go there, you're going to go to Mexico. Makes sense, right? You're 45 minutes from Mexico. You go to Tucson, you're going to order Mexican food. But I want to warn you, if you order Mexican food, if you're with a friend who's from the Tucson area, if you say that you want Mexican food, they're going to ask this question. They're going to say, what kind of Mexican do you want? They don't mean Taco Bell. That's not what they mean. They don't want you to say like, what kind of Mexican, you know, Taco Bell or Taco, I don't know. And here's what they mean. They mean Sonoran Mexican, Baja Mexican, Mexico City Mexican. They don't mean Tex-Mex. That's not what they mean. Like, they don't mean a place where they're going to dump cheese on your Mexican. There's none of that. It's all about fresh, and it's all about the flavors, and so it's like, but Baja Mexicans are going to involve a little bit more fish, and avocado, and Sonoran, and anyway, it's regional, right? It's all about regional there. What's the place for you that it has a flavor? Has a taste, right? A place I didn't mention. Someone after the last service, they said, Georgia, Georgia. And I thought, peaches? And she was like, no, cornbread. Cornbread, that's what it is. And fried chicken, Georgia. So, what's the place for you? What's the place that when you think about that place, there's a flavor? There's a taste. You see, I think that line of thinking, gets your minds ready for what we're going to see in the Word of God as Peter just brings us some incredible truth today. Now go ahead and take your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22, as you're Turning there, there are two different camps for theologians. Peter talks a lot about us being exiles, as as being sojourners in the land. So one group of theologians, they say that this is really written for people who have been dispersed. It's written to the church. We know that. This is written to Christians, not to people who are trying to figure out their faith. This is specifically written to people who are part of the church. But some theologians believe it's written specifically for people that have been dispersed through this area. There's another side that says, no, this is written kind of to every Christian as, as we all are exiles here. We're all sojourners here. We're all aliens in this land. We're all longing for a home, in this earth is not it. Regardless of which camp you fall into, though, one thing we know for certain, that as Peter is writing, he is saying that based on the goodness of God, based on that flavor and taste of the goodness of God, it should impact, inform, and change the way that we live, the way that we behave, and the way that we love. That brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is to taste the goodness of of God. Taste the goodness of God. Now, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, or maybe like you've been away from the church for a while and you just, you're coming in for the first time in a long time, let me set the stage with where we've been. Where we've been is that the world today, more than I think any other time in my lifetime, the world is searching for for hope, right? And we hope for all kinds of things, don't we? We hope that the world gets back to normal. That's what we hope for. Some, you're hoping for change. We're hoping for change. I brought up something else that we were hoping for last week, and I was saying it like playing around in jest, but it kind of worked. I said, you know, we cross our fingers and we cross our toes, and we hope that the Lions win, but then they won. Like, they won against a team that they probably shouldn't have won against, and so today they're playing the Saints. Also, they probably should not win against Drew Brees. And so we're going to try this again because it worked once. And so why not, right? We're going to cross our fingers, cross our toes. We're going to hope that the lions win. Like, we're just, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. But I I think there's something bigger at play. I think as Christians, we recognize the world that truly is, honestly, is looking for hope. And it shouldn't surprise us as followers of Jesus because we saw it with the disciples, the disciples, they had all their hope in Christ, and then Christ was crucified. And in a moment, they thought that hope was dead. Hope was gone. There was no more hope. But my friends, it was on that third day that hope had a pulse again, and hope had a name, and hope had conquered sin and death and got out of that grave and rose, and he walked right out of that tomb. We place our hope on the never-changing Word of God. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. That's where our hope is. Our hope is not on the shifting ways of the world. Our hope is in Christ. And so Peter says, based on that truth, is going to inform the way that we live. Last week, we read how he called us to be holy because God is holy. We shouldn't be holy trying to measure up to God's love. Like, maybe if I act this way, if I act holy, God will love me. That's not, that's not why we should be holy. We, we don't live lives that are called to be holy so that maybe we can get the grace of God. But we live lives that are holy because He is holy. That's why we live those types of lives. Now today what we're going to see is we get this call to love one another. And Peter's going to tell us how we go about doing that. So he's not only going to tell us that we should love each other; he's going to tell us how we love each other. So we got two focus points today. Our first is love one another. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter one, starting in verse twenty-two. The word of God says this: it "says Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again." not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the first thing that we see is we are called to love one another. Look at verse 22 again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this says that we should have a sincere brotherly love. That means it's genuine. It's not fake. It's not made up. It's not not a manipulative love. You understand manipulative love, right? A manipulative love says this. It says, I love you if... I love you if you behave this way, then I love you. I love you if you believe the same thing I believe, if you act the way I want you to. If you do these things with these strings attached, then I love you. If not, I'm going to cut those strings, then I'm going to withhold my love. Peter says our love should be sincere. It should be genuine. It should be continuous. It should be without ceasing. So how do we recognize that someone's a follower of Jesus? How do we recognize her are a disciple? If I just run into you in your neighborhood or at the grocery store or if I'm at your house or you're at my house, how do you recognize I'm a Christian? How do I recognize you're a Christian? According to what Peter says, it's going to be from our love. That's how we're going to recognize each other, from our sincere brotherly love. Now, why do we love each other? Well, verse 23 tells us. Verse 23 says, since you have been born again. He's saying that this overflow of being loved by God is what informs us to love others. So last week, do you remember last week I talked about this cage and how we are hostages in that cage. We are hostages to sin. We are in chains and in a cage from sin. On your own, you can't unhostage yourself. You can't ransom yourself. You can't save yourself. Jesus Christ did that work. And it is through faith in what Christ has done that sets us free. And what Peter's saying is based on that, based on the redemption that comes from Christ, based on this unwavering love that he showered on us, we don't have a choice but to love others. That is where we're going to go. Verse 23 says, and it's not based off of the temporary ways, the perishable. He says it's based on the imperishable Seed of the living word of God, and then he illustrates the point by going to Psalm 40, where he says that the word of God endures or remains forever, it is everlasting from the first century all the way till now. The word of God remains relevant, it's not going to return void, it's going to accomplish the purpose that he's sending it out. That was true in the first century, it is still true today. And then Peter in verse 25 says, the word is good news that was preached to them. So the word endures, the word remains, the word is good. So as we are called to love others, as we're called to love one another, this is something that's going to be everlasting kind of love. It's like what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, let each of you look Not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Having his mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Can you imagine a time? Can you even start to imagine a time where this message has been more relevant than today? This world is so full of division, so full of person turning on person, when the world needs to hear that the gospel of Jesus calls us and demands us to love others. That's the command of the Christian. That has to be our response, is how the world will know that we're his disciples. Isn't that what Jesus said? In John chapter 13, he says, by this... All people will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Jesus could have said anything right there, right? Jesus could have said, by this, all people will know you're my disciples. If you wear green on Thursdays, because green's a really nice color. And so, like, if it was every Thursday, then everyone would know, like, oh, you're the Christian because you're wearing green. I'm th-. That's not what he said. He could have said, by this, all people will know you're my, that you wear one of those crosses on your neck. If you wear a cross, then people are going to know They'll know then, you know, if you, he could have said anything, but, but what he said was, here's how they're going to know. They're going to know based on the way that you live and the way that you love. That's how they're going to know. Isn't that powerful? Now, real fast, I need to chase a quick rabbit I'm talking about love. Those of you who've been in the church for a long time, you've heard the sermons that say, let's talk about the different words in the Greek for love, because there's different types of love, and I can't preach that whole sermon right now. But let me just say this. I'm not talking about mushy-gushy love. I, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like when I look at Amy and I'm like, oh, I love you. Like I I fell in love with you and I love you and I'm in love with you. And you're pretty and you make my heart speed up and, and woo, you know. And, but next week, you kind of hurt my heart. And so I may have just fell right out of love with you. You know, I'm not talking about that kind of love. I won't fall out of love next week. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's not the love I'm talking about. I'm talking about this earnest, sincere, brotherly love, not where someone has to earn it, not where someone has to measure up to it. I'm talking about this everlasting kind of love that demands action. Love is a verb. It's going to require action. It requires movement on our part. I mention that because, church, sometimes, sometimes there's people around you who are hard to love. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that as a pastor or not. I'm supposed to just act like everyone's real easy to love. But some people aren't easy to love, are they? Right? Some people, they pop their gum when you're watching TV, and you don't, you don't like that very much. And so those people might be hard to love, right? You don't like that very much. Or some people, they chew with their mouth open, and they make that noise, you know? And you're like, didn't your mama teach you better, you know? And it kind of it makes stuff inside of you get angry a little bit, like a little anxious, and you're like, what is wrong with you, you know, and so you just have that thing, and you know what I'm talking, some people aren't easy to love, but like in all seriousness, sometimes it's a lot weightier than that. Sometimes there's people who's hurt you. Sometimes there's people who's hurt people you care about, and it's hard to love them, Sometimes as hard as you try, you try to put yourself in someone else's shoes and you close your eyes and you're thinking what would make them think this way and what would make them say these sort of things and what would make them believe these sort of things and as hard as you try to empathize with them, you can't. And you're like I just don't see what is wrong with you, right? And they they're just difficult to love. Here's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is we've seen what it looks like to love people who are hard to love. Because what Jesus did for us. Church, you're hard to love sometimes. I am hard to love sometimes. Let me tell you why I'm hard to love. Because I've sinned. Because I'm not perfect. I've fallen short of the glory of God. That cage that I talked about last week and being a hostage to sin, we make the choice to put ourselves there. We chose not to follow the ways of God. We put ourselves there intentionally in the chains. It's in that place that Jesus still loves us. And he gave his life for us as a ransom. Jesus in that place says, you may be hard to love, but I'm choosing to love you anyway. We've seen the gospel lived in our own lives. And what Peter is saying is based on that, it requires us to move to action and to love others. Which brings us to... Our next challenge, and that is to grow up and love. Grow up. and Now, some of you, you love when people just give it to you straight. You're like, don't dance around things. Just give it to me straight. If that's you... Like if you're kind of that person that like when you read the Bible, you want to wrinkle up your face a little bit, like that's you, you need to read James and you need to read Peter. You're going to love it because it's going to step all over your toes. It's going to get right in your space. If you're like, no, it hurts my feelings a little bit, read John because you're going to go, for God so love the world, you know, and you're going to feel so good about it. But Peter, Peter's like, no, there's some things you need to hear and it's hard truth. Look what he says in chapter two, verse one. He says, so put away. He's not having a conversation, is he? Peter, Peter right now is saying, "Like this is not about how you feel, and this is not about making you feel good, and this is not about let's, let's hear what you think about that. No, Peter is saying, this is what you need to know. Put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So the second thing we see here is that we need to grow up and love. Love isn't something that we do once at Thanksgiving. You know, there's people around us in our communities have never experienced a family Thanksgiving dinner, and we're gonna be able to give food so they can experience that. Well, of course I love people. I'll do that. I can pick up some stuffing so they can do that or some dressing or whatever we call it around here, right? I can, I can do, it's not something we do once a year and then say, whew, I loved that was it. I'm good for the next year. This is something that is is consistent. It's intentional. It is back to that love being a verb, right? But then notice what he says next. He says uh, this term, we need to put away. I would circle that in my Bible, put away. It's a word where you probably identify with it and and recognize it more than you realize you do, because put away means this. It's this New Testament word that means to strip away off. It means you've got on these clothes that are dirty, that are nasty, that are disgusting, that are soiled, and you literally take that stuff off and you put it away. It's the same word that we're talking about like in Acts chapter 7 or when we talk about baptisms. Some of you, we have a baptism service coming up. Some of you place your faith in Jesus, but you haven't taken that first step of obedience you've never been baptized, in your bulletin there's a communication card. I want to encourage you to fill that out. Hand it to someone on the way out of here. Talk to one of the staff. Talk to one of the elders, one of the deacons. We would love, love, love to talk to you more about taking that step of obedience. Because here's what you're going to do. You've already done this in your heart, but you publicly are going to say, there's an old me that I have stripped off. I put it away. I put off my old self. That self has died. And when you come up out of the water, you are standing with Christ in his resurrection. Quite literally, you're saying, now I am clothed with Christ. It is Christ in me that is the hope of glory. That's what you're doing in that moment. And so Peter is saying, there are some things that we need to put off because you've been carrying it away. And these things, they serve as an obstacle to good community. It serves as an obstacle to your relationships. This is an obstacle to you being able to love. And he gives this list. Let's go over the list. The first thing he mentions is malice. You see malice there? Let me give you kind of a definition for each one. Malice, maybe it's not a word that you use a whole lot, but malice carries with it this idea that there's um, bad intent in your heart towards someone else. That's holding malice, right? There's this feeling inside where I just thinking about that person just makes me mad. Maybe you're thinking, check, I'm good there. Like, I don't have any malice in my heart. So I know I've asked this way before, but let me ask it this way. Imagine that person showed up to the church right now. You know, that person, that person that hurt you or hurt someone close to you. And let's say I greeted them at the door. Hey, it's so good to have you this morning. I'm fired up. Or have them back. Maybe they're someone that used to be here, and then they left, and now they're coming back here. Or maybe they've never been here. But I look around, and I happen to see a seat that's empty just two seats away from you. And I sit them down right there. Who's that person, or maybe those people, that they sat down right there? It would make your insides feel so Gross. And you would want to get up and... Now, maybe you wouldn't leave, but you'd certainly want to. Who's that? Because that's malice. That's what Peter's talking about. That feeling that you have is causing a barrier between you and being able to love that person like we're called to in Scripture. And Peter says, we need to put this away. Deceit. Deceit, we know what deceit is. Deceit's being deceitful. Means not being honest. Now, why would we do that? Why would we be deceitful? Well, here's why. Because we want people to say, oh, I like you so much. You're such a likable person. So oftentimes, we're deceitful in relationships to make ourselves look better. But the approval we're looking for then isn't isn't the Lord and how he views us. We're trying to get the applause of people. And it's causing a barrier between you and being able to love that person well hypocrisy, uh, we understand what it means to be a hypocrite, don't we? But just in case you don't, you're like, I don't, what's what being a hypocrite? I don't. Okay, here you go. It's when you set a moral standard, and this person over here, they don't live up to your moral standard, and you let them know it. You didn't live up to my moral standard. I can't believe you. I can't believe shame. Shame on you. Can't believe. And the whole time, you're not living up to that same moral standard. That's being a hypocrite right there, right? When you're not living up to that same moral standard that you're angry at everybody else for not living up to, that's hypocrisy. Uh, Envy, he mentions envy. Envy is where you want what something else has, where you want the position that someone else has. That's envy. Pastor Steve would probably say, this is one of those sins that's rooted in appetite, right? I, I want, I'm craving what you have. Then if I only had that, then I could have joy in my life. If, if I only had that, then I could have some contentment in my life. But I don't have that position you have. I don't have that, that stuff that you have. And so there's envy there. The root of this always comes from comparison, Not understanding, I was a hostage and now I'm free. We forget all about that. Instead, we start to compare ourselves to other people. That's where envy comes in. Then slander. I'm not talking about the American legal system definition of slander because there was no American legal system in the first century. But biblically, slander is when you talk about someone else in a way that damages their reputation. And so that's when you're talking privately to someone, you're like, "Well, let me tell you, let me tell you what really happened," you know. And you start to talk about someone else, and it's hurting their reputation. That's slander. Or when you get on Facebook, you're like, "Well, I don't even know this person, but let me tell you my thoughts on that person." Like we've never sat down and had coffee, but I'm going to do- start doing that. And you start saying bad things about that person that hurts their reputation. That's slander. That's what that is, It's biblical slander. And so what Peter is literally saying is, he's saying we need to put away these things because they are barriers to community. They are barriers to the gospel. They're barriers to your love. They're the opposite of chapter one, verse 22. Sincere brotherly love and loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. These things drive us away from that. Now, whenever I do a wedding, I talk a lot about a selfless love. i got a wedding actually coming up this week, right? There's, there's a, another one coming up. I think the rehearsal's Friday and the wedding's Saturday, I, I think. Not that the calendar's important for right now, but I just, I'm processing my calendar. Anyway, so when I do a wedding, you got the bride and the groom who are standing there. And we've always had conversations before we stood there. And I talk a lot about the charge of honoring their vows, of how important it is to honor your vows. And so for wives, this call to to submit to your husband like you do to the Lord. The Lord who doesn't approach you with with an abusive posture. He's always very gentle with us. And then the call for husbands, the charge to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Remember that Jesus stripped off his outer garments. He got on his hands and knees. He washed the feet of the disciples. Let's remember what love looks like. He stretched out his arms on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. The call to selfless love is incredible in Scripture. And so we talk a lot about that selfless love. We could talk about parenting, though, and you would understand it just the same, right? Parenting, if you take a three-week-old baby at one in the morning when they start crying and you have to get up and change the diaper or feed the baby, it's not a selfish love is it You don't get anything out of that as a parent. It's not like a three-week-old is going to look at you and say, Hey, thank you so much. My diaper feels so much better. I appreciate that. Sleep well. (laughs) You know, they're, they're not going to do that. It's a very selfless love as a parent, especially if you parent the way that the Lord has called us to. It's incredibly selfless. And so this this kind of a love that Peter's talking about is something we recognize. It's something we can identify, but it's so tough. And he's telling us that you got to grow up. There are things that you've been doing before your faith in Christ. Yeah, you need to grow up. You need to get rid of that, and you need to love. And then he says that we should long for the pure spiritual milk so that we may grow up. long. For the pure spiritual milk, you see, when you place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you do it from the enduring, everlasting, never-changing Word of God. And Peter's saying that you should crave and long, whether you've been a Christian for two weeks or for 70 years, all of us, we should be craving that pure spiritual milk that comes from the Word of God. Every last one of us, and, and he says, this is for all who have tasted That the Lord is good. Of course, he's pointing to one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 34, 8, that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So imagine, imagine with me. Come to church next week. And as you come, there's someone and they've got the, the baby carriage. I think we call them strollers today. But they got the baby carriage, right? They're pushing the baby carriage and looking so happy and your new parents. And you peek inside because that's what we always want to do, right? What's inside the baby carriage? And you peek in and then there's just like the little cheeks. You know, they got the little cheeks, little newborn. they got the bonnet. Babies, I don't think, wear bonnets anymore, but go with it. It helps with the story. And they've got the bonnet on and they've got the onesie and you just want to grab the cheeks a little baby. And you're like, oh, look at that. And so you don't Touch COVID, you know, so you stay back here and you just look, and you're like, that's precious. Melt your heart, right? Right into a thousand pieces, it melts your heart. Let's take that same baby though, and let's fast forward to walking into the church five years from now. And let's say that same family, they're walking in with the baby carriage with the five year old in there, little bonnet on, little onesie. All of a sudden, you're going, it's getting weird now, <laughs> right? It would, it would freak out everything inside of you. That's not the way. That, there should be some maturity. Right? We're supposed to grow up. And as Christians, Peter is saying there's some things that you got to put up. Okay, real fast. I, I shared it in the first two. I thought about not sharing it, but I'm going to share it. I, I almost didn't share it. But here's, here's I have to now. Here's a conversation that happened in our house this week. Amy out of nowhere, like I'm working on something, Gabe's on his computer, he's working on something, and Amy looks up and she says, Gabe, I have an idea. Gabe's about to turn 18, y'all, just for perspective here, right? He's in his senior year of high school, and Gabe takes off his headphone, yeah, mom? Because he's doing school at home, right? Yeah, mom, I have an idea. I think we should get matching pajamas for Christmas and get pictures. <laughs> and Gabe has a look of panic on his face. And he looks at me like, dad, and I'm shaking my head, no. And I'm doing this. Like, and, and just so you know, like I've seen some of you guys, you pull it off and it is so good. Like you're amazing how good you are at it. And like your pictures are, are beautiful and they're wonderful. But in my head, because I'm getting this sermon ready, I'm picturing onesies for all of us. And I'm like, This is awkward. Everything about this conversation is awkward, and so Gabe is like, "Mom, I." He's trying to be so graceful, right? He's like, "I, I, I just don't think this is a good idea." And I'm shaking my head, "Yeah, I don't think this is a good idea either." And Amy's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we'll see. Okay, put it in the sermon. It's happening. Put it in the sermon. It's happening. Okay, seriously, my head is getting sweaty just thinking about it. It really makes me nervous. Anyway, here's what Peter's saying here. He's saying that we have tasted the goodness of God. Do you understand that flavor of life? We have tasted, friends, the goodness of God. We were hostages in sin. And on your own, you're not going to get out of that. But we have been redeemed. We have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We have been loved fully and completely, not based on anything you or I bring to this conversation, not based on anything that we can do. We have been completely freed and completely redeemed. And in that place of freedom and being fully loved, Peter says, we got to grow up. We've got to mature in our faith. We can't keep holding on like a five-year-old and a ones in a bonnet. That's not going to work. We've got to grow up in our faith. And so I want to leave you with this challenge today. What does this look like? How do we apply this to life today? We're in this season right now where we've been called as a church to a time of prayer and fasting. And We started actually a few weeks ago on a Thursday night. We came in here and we, we prayed and we worshiped together. The last Thursday of the month, we're going to gather again for a night of prayer and worship. It's the last Thursday before the election. I highly encourage all of you, write that on your calendar so that we can all come in and be in prayer together. But the the prayer has been, let's take Thursdays to fast and to pray. That's what we want to do. Pray for personal revival and revival within your family and revival within the church and unity within the church. Now, if you haven't jumped in yet, let me walk you through what it looks like. It's when you say, I'm going to take breakfast or lunch or dinner or, or all or a couple of them. But the time I would normally prepare my food, that I would cook my food, that I would make my food, the time that I would normally spend eating my food, instead, I'm just going to dedicate that to prayer. I'm hungering after the taste of the Word of God more than what life has to offer. I, I, I want to spend that time... In prayer with the Lord so maybe here's what the next couple of weeks could look like for you maybe it's you saying Lord I thought I was good when it came to malice but when Billy asked that question that way there were some names that came to mind or maybe one specific name that came to mind And it's where you say Lord I don't I don't want that in my life but clearly I'm having trouble removing that on my own or it would already be gone Lord I need the power of your holy spirit. I need you to get right in the middle of this. Because I want to love people the way that you've called me to and this clearly is a barrier that I didn't even recognize as being there. So Lord, let's just take some time on Thursdays to work through this because I need you. Maybe for you it's slander. Lord, I I don't like to think of myself as a slanderous person. But yeah, I started to look like the rest of the world. Everyone seems to be so mean with what they say, and I want people to be properly educated. So I've been saying things back, right? I've been, I've been jumping right in the middle of that story. Maybe what your Thursdays are going to look like is, Lord, I, I might need just to fast from social media altogether. Maybe I don't need to say anything. I need to learn that until I can speak words of love and life, I just need to turn it off. Maybe that's the best thing for my soul right now, to learn not to be slanderous in my speech. Lord, envy, I don't want my contentment to come from the applause of others. I want it to be from you. But why don't we as a church continue to allow the Lord to take us to that place where we grow up in our faith? It's a hard message. It's a hard truth, but this is what it takes for us to know better how to love the world like Christ has called us to love. Father, we thank you. We thank you that our redemption is in Christ Jesus, not on our behavior, not on this perfect measuring stick of what we can do, but Lord, on what Jesus has done on our behalf. We thank you for that truth that we have been born again, that we are new creations, that the old is gone and the new has come. And yet, Lord, sometimes it's hard. It's hard because all that junk sneaks in and we don't even realize it's sneaking in until it's there and it has a grip on us. Lord, Jesus came out of that tomb so that we could be free, so that we could be completely free. So we've got some hard work to do this week and this month and this lifetime. Lord, it's this reminder of what selfless love looks like. So Lord, don't let us be content in the ways of the world and the way that the world hopes. Let us continue to find our hope in Christ alone. And God, as we do strip these things off, as we do put them away, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room to find that beautiful place of joy real joy of what it means to love you and to love others. That there's a peace. Lord, a peace that transcends all understanding. There's a patience. At a time where it seems like everyone is losing patience, Lord, let us be saturated with patience. That there's a kindness and a gentleness and a goodness. Lord, there's a goodness because we're thinking with the mind of Christ. Lord, for a self control Help us to continue to find our satisfaction, our joy, our hope in you. Lord, we want to bring you glory with all we do. We want people to see you as they see us. Continue to show us what it means to love you, to make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.